Welcome to this four-part series, a collaboration between the Learning Future and the Metapraxis Project, run by ASA, the Association of Independent Schools South Australia. In partnership with Michael Bunce, a thought leader and academic, you'll hear from educators that have thought and acted beyond. Beyond disciplines to move into the multidimensionality of learning, fusing knowledge, skills and capabilities so that our young people can thrive into their future. How might we bring about agency, cognitive skills, creativity and creative thinking and couple that with an awareness to transfer these skills to transcend current boundaries? This is true meta-disciplinary work. And thank you for joining us. So Michael and I are here with six fantastic practitioners from schools across Adelaide in South Australia. We'd love to hear who you are and where you're from. Hi, I'm Jo Rossiter, um, I work at Annesley Junior School. My role is Head of Primary, I've worked there for 10 years in various classroom roles uh, and find myself um, working hard always towards what we can do as primary educators to equip our students for the future. Fantastic. Joe. great to have you with us. Thank you. And hello, I'm David Taylor, I'm the Head of Learning and Teaching at Annesley Junior School. I've been there for, this is my second year, and joined the Metapraxis project a year in, but was really excited because um, I'm very passionate about um, transdisciplinary learning, um, and we're an IB PYP school, so it's um, at the heart of what we do. Fantastic. Thank you, Joe and David. Great to have you both here. Hi, my name is Mayra Franco. I'm from Walford Anglican School for Girls. Uh, Walford is an R to 12 school, um, and I look after the diploma, which is in year 11 and 12, which is at the other end of the spectrum. We also are an IB school for the PYP and the diploma, um, so it's something that is at the core of what we do. Uh, I also teach Spanish and theory of knowledge. Fantastic. Thank you, Myra. Uh, hello, my name's Sam Bartram. I work at Walford as well. I'm a maths and science teacher, uh, biology in the senior years. Great. Great to have you here, Sam. Thank you. And Myra. Hi, my name's Julie Sampson. I work at Cornerstone College in the Adelaide Hills. Um, I'm the learning director there. I've been there for 14 years. Uh, I'm a maths teacher, uh, but my passion is for all things learning. And I th oh, we were fascinated by this project because it's sort of at the cutting edge of current educational thinking. Mm. Fantastic. Julie, looking forward to hearing from you. And I'm Rhett Filkey um, from Cornerstone College. And in the first couple of years of the project, I was a middle school, middle school learning leader. And this last year, I've just been an educator and next year back into middle school learning leader role and I'm really interested in how we can um, authentically embed the capabilities mm. into the learning. Fantastic, right? And I think Julie, you've really just picked this up. This, this to me really feels like the kind of emerging edge of the future of education and trying to bring it into the core of what we do in schools. Michael, I'd love you to give us just a little insight as well. I mean, this is something you've been thinking about and enabling across these schools here in South Australia. Give us a sense of what Metapraxis is before we dive into the stories of these three schools. Absolutely. Well, um, the name itself, um, sort of quite a compound bunch of concepts. Um, praxis for me is this idea of integrated theory and practice, but it's applying theory and practice, very much about applied, applied practice and, and applied skills, applied knowledge. Um, the meta part is metacognitive, it's metaphorical, um, it's anything that looks, sort of looks into, into learning as a, from a point of view of abstraction, really. So you're able to sort of take a perspective on it that, that looks at, at the whole picture yeah. and connects various elements of knowledge and skill um, in a way that gives students an opportunity to kind of transfer that and apply that in, 
in ways that are unique to them, really. Mm. Uh, the, the work itself came from my work at the University of East London in curriculum design, particularly in interdisciplinary cur curriculum design. And the, that, that kind of comes from a creative arts background as well. Mm. So I do, as a musician, uh, as a sort of arts practitioner, an interdisciplinary artist, a lot of the, the skills and techniques that I um, see in that kind of practice um, are those that I could see as being beneficial uh, mm. in a way that uh, you know would enable students to to kind of think much more about their own work and and, and work reflexively, considering their own learning process mm. and adapting adapting to meet problems as they arrive. Fantastic, I love it. I mean, it really just resonates with what we're seeing in our society, what we're seeing in the you know emerging future of work, you know what we're seeing through technology, but ultimately as well this idea of the applied nature, you know, it's not what we know, mm -hmm. it's what we do with what we know, and it's who we are as we do things mm -hmm. with what we know, which is mm -hmm. this beautiful level of depth. So let's hear a little bit about one of the practical applied stories, and we want to come to Cornerstone first. And Julie, give us a sense of why Metapraxis and why this work now? Well, we were drawn to the project because um, the area of capabilities and 21st century skills is very much at the forefront of current educational thinking. Uh, it's part of what employers are talking about in terms of the skills that they want people to have when they leave school or when they come out of university. Um, the universities are talking about how they can perhaps work a little bit more in th those areas rather than just teaching knowledge. Mm. And um, it's certainly in SACE um, at the senior years. Um, we have a interdisciplinary program in our year seven and eight in middle school, but then you kind of channel into your more traditional high school uh, senior years and yeah. so working out how do we work what are those transferable skills that we can develop in our students that are going to help them beyond school so that's what drew us in mm, fantastic um let's go to Wolford. give us a sense just a high level to begin why well, this we work were, for you? um very keen as soon as the opportunity came up to jump on board the world's changing whether we like it or not and um you know michael's an uh, amazing educator and he's got a it's got a lexicon around learning that um, we've really enjoyed trying to keep up with, and um, <laughs> he's a metacognizist, if that's a word. <laughs> it is now, I guess. Everything. But no, we we are always looking to pursue new ways of better preparing our students for futures that uh, we can't yet conceive of, and and this was obviously an opportunity to do that. Mm. Fabulous. Honestly, what about you? Why Metapraxis? Why this journey? Yeah, we were lucky enough to be involved in the Rudolph project, the Yogzown, three years prior to the Metapraxis project. And in that time, we developed um, a really strong sense of entrepreneurial learning in our school, mm. um, right across every week of um, every year level across our school. And children use that time to add value to the world that followed their strengths and passions. We saw an opportunity to jump on the Metapraxis project to add some rigour behind that, particularly to identify the metadisciplinary skills mm. that the children were developing, um, put some structure and framework around that to help us plan and teach for that, but also to assess and make that really visible to our learners and also their families about the development within of skills within that mm. entrepreneurial program. Yeah, I love it. Michael, I just want... I want you to just weave the narrative, like just just make the case for this kind of work, because mm. there there are different views on 
the role of education in a society and frankly I think some of them have stuck in a past paradigm. Mm. So this idea, even metapraxis can throw some people because it sure. seems, you know, I think to Sam's point, like it's beautiful lexicon, like a new, <laughs> but it's an emergent language yeah. that we haven't used before rather than we've got a bunch of subjects and you do well within the subject. Mm. What's the case for metapraxis? The, the case for me- metapraxis, I suppose, is, is again, you know, if you think back to the profile of the artist that I talked about and the, and the, and the learner that's self-directing their learning, um, their capability in being able to kind of leverage skills for different contexts, thinking about the ways in which they could adapt a range of skills that, mm. that almost sit outside or across disciplines so that we, we can integrate some, some knowledge and, and some skill that comes from maths with, with music, with geography, with, with um, visual arts. And we can think about that mm. um, you know, as a profile where that student, that learner is capable in multiple contexts because they're not necessarily working in a linear way. They're not necessarily learning and thinking in a linear way because there's a kind of non-linear um, way in which they are, they're, they're, they're adapting for, mm. the, for the context. And I think that's, that for me is at the core. You know, Learners who are able to adapt to context, yeah. people who are able to adapt to context, the more mm. adaptable we are to our context and understanding of our own, and, and for ourselves as context as well, in that sort of metacognitive space. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it links... The, the opportunity to, to integrate skills in different contexts and to, and, and to adapt to context links to the idea of entrepreneurialism, as Joe talked about, in this idea that, you know, you can sort of... Entrepreneurialism as taking from between, sort of finding mm. things in the spaces between things mm. um, to create opportunities, to create new knowledge, to create new skills uh, for yourself, for others, um, you know, as individuals, as collectives. Mm. And... I think the reason that's important is because we, you know, the narrative is very much around the paradigm and, the, and its shift is that the world's changing, it's constantly changing, it's evolving and, mm. and there are requirements around how perhaps a kind of industrial model of, of learning and work um, is something that's kind of, we're transcending now yeah. because of the disruption to that. Um, so I suppose on one level it is about, you know, preparing learners for the future of workspace. But more than that, it's, it's the paradigm has shifted so that actually there's a kind of internalization of this. Mm. So the learner becomes the disciplinary domain. Interesting. This whole concept of holistic learning. Yeah. I think that will also translate to the workplace and, and is doing yeah. so, you know, as a sort of emergent industry 4.0, mm-hmm. education 4.0 kind of concept. Web 3.0. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. As we, yeah. we kind of see that frontier um, mm. come towards us. Well, let's jump into Cornerstone. Give us a sense uh, of the design principles of the work that you've been kind of engaging in. What was the scope and the reference points? Just t- take us on a bit of a journey. Um, well, we were just talking about this before, actually, and if you look back on it, it probably will have looked well-designed, <laughs> the process <laughs> that we went through. Um, but that probably wasn't actually what happened and, and the, pro, um, the project developed as we progressed. Mm. Um, and so we started out um, just trying to get an understanding and grasp some of the concepts that um, Michael was, was talking about, which was challenging um, enough at the start. <laughs> and um, as, a, as a team, we kind of branched off into our own little journeys mm-hmm. um, to explore different um, capabilities. Um, and then we came back at the end of that first year and we kind of um, reviewed it and thought... Um, we're not collaborating <laughs> that mm, much mm. and we really wanted to collaborate um, and have that as an important part of what we were doing. 
Um, and so then from there, we kind of came together um, more authentically as a group to work on one project um, that made sense. And that was to create, well, at the start, it was to create learning progressions for um, each of the C's, mm-hmm. critical thinking and creativity and collaboration. And um, that's turned out, that was a, quite an ambitious goal. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that we, yeah. we found out. Um, and what it's kind of turned out to be is creating one learning progression for critical thinking. Um, as a, I see it as a real learning and teaching tool mm. um, that can help students and teachers understand critical thinking better um, and then kind of focusing on how we can get better at it. Mm. I love it. Julie, what would you add to that around, because I know for, for listeners, you know, that there's a piece of work here in South Australia, which is linked to our South Australian Certificate of Education, says, which is about moving to this learner profile space, which is to say, yes, it's your academic transcript, but actually more importantly, it's about the capability set, the unique human being that you are, and how do we elevate that component as well. So it takes on a bit of a journey around where creative thinking fits into that, because as Rhett said, it's a, it's a, it helps, the tool is, uh, assists us to understand and kind of evaluate at a self-level and another. I, well, I think that's where we wanted to explore in that assessment mm. space, and we looked at critical thinking out of the creative and critical thinking aspect of Australian curriculum. Yeah. Um, what we discovered is that if you want to have an assessment tool that is rigorous and meaningful for staff and for students, it's actually really hard to design. Um, so it took us the best part of the second year to actually uh, unpack that and work out what are the components that we want to assess with. Like, what does critical thinking mean? Mm. Breaking it down into some tools that are actually observable or measurable in the classroom. And then to have some sort of progression. Mm. Like, what, what does that mean when they arrive at, through to kind of a mastery or a high level of achievement? That was really hard to define mm. and took a lot of work, which is why we originally thought we'd do multiple progressions. Yeah, great. Number of capabilities. And we've got one that we... It's usable, but it's still... I think needs a lot of work and it's mm. still quite teacherish in its language. Sure. Yeah, so um, I think it's a challenging space, but I think it's valuable work. If we're going to be serious about moving into this space in education, we mm. have to do that hard work. Yeah, great. Just, just give us a, before we move on to Wolf, give us a sense of a use case in this because I think, you know, creating this progression, it te- tele- take us through how this becomes multidisciplinary or transdisciplinary. Like, how can this be used within the way that a school is arranged, the school functions? Um, yeah, well, I, th- I think the fact that critical thinking um, is used in everything we do um, allows it to be used across all the disciplines. Um, and so this year we've been testing it across um, the Year 9 Maths and um, Year 8 Core, mm-hmm. which is all the subjects, and um, Year 8 German. Um, so trying to see how useful it is across mm. these different disciplines um, and I guess focusing on the, the skill of critical thinking mm. and how we can I think the, the really useful part is for teachers at the moment is for teachers to go okay this is what we're talking about and here's some explicit skills that we're talking about right. um, and then being able to design tasks or learning experiences that allow students to develop that I think gives it a lot more clarity mm. as to what we're talking about. Um, and I think Julie's right, the language isn't, it's more t- directed to the teacher at the moment um, and probably not as useful for students. So we need to kind of tinker away with it and get it to be more um, 
useful for students. Mm. I mean, ultimately, we'd like to have a tool that students can self-assess with. Yeah, great. So it needs to be language that is meaningful to them mm. so that they can have a tool they can use and then you know, line that up with what the teacher thinks. And then that's a conversation that you can have with yeah. the students about how they're developing. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea. And there's not being kind of additional work as, as opposed to being woven into the fabric of the experience, perhaps, um, in a lesson, in a year, in, in a school environment. Fantastic. Really exciting stuff. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, let's go to Wolford. So, Myra and Sam, mm -hmm. give us a sense of your journey. Like, what's been the kind of process, the principles that you've, you've kind of embedded so far? Um, well, for us, uh, we first had to unpack what meta practice would look like in our context, because mm -hmm. every school is different. Yes. Um, we then explore the capabilities within our own curriculum. So we have the IB for the younger years, then we have the local curriculum, and in the senior years we have SACE and IB. So we had to go through all that. We decided to focus on critical thinking as well, um, mm. and transfer, because that's, that's key here. Mm. Um, and we first decided to use one of the um, events that we had at school. We have a, a week that we call IB Week, where we would just uh, develop this special activity where we collapse the timetable in some cases or some mm. days, where we can actually allow ourselves time to do these things. And that's, that was our first trial, uh, the first year. That's, that's when we did it. And it was the girls that really loved it. It was really... You could see the vibe in the rooms, um, very positive feedback from them. But we also found that it's quite hard sometimes to, to have more of those occasions unless you really rethink what you do mm. as, a whole, as a school, as a whole school approach. Yeah. And the other thing is how do you evaluate? Because we're looking at both content and skills. And the content, you need to make sure it's rigorous, what you deliver at the same time. You need to assess the skills, which is something that is, takes time to, to develop. Mm. Mm -hmm. Sam, I'd love to bring you in here as well. You know, maths, physics, biology, you know, historically very clear disciplines. Yeah. So yeah. what's been the shift that It was fairly clear to us that the, the vehicle to begin with was an interdisciplinary unit, which is you know, relatively common in different schools. And you know, by having a, a theme that combines multiple faculties together, the boundaries fall away a bit and the emphasis mm. goes back onto the, the skills that they're using and we did some fairly careful task design to get the students, instead of jumping straight into the problem, to take a step back and think, what have I got in my toolkit? Mm. Do I have the skills? Who, do, who can I go to if I, if I don't have the skills? Um, there was some surveys that they did before and after. Do you feel comfortable transferring your your skills between contexts. Um, we deployed members of the team to every middle school year and, and they each got involved in, in one of these units and, mm. and the surveys did show that the students felt there was, a, there was an improvement in their, their confidence and their, their willingness to do it. As someone that teaches across a couple of faculties mm. and, and teaches teachers that do that share this with us all the time. It, it, it is quite common to teach them something in math and then you walk into the science classroom and you go, right, we're now going to use this and the, the students can be quite discomforted by that. So, you know, as a, as a vision, mm. we're, not, we're not there yet, but mm. students that really welcome the, the opportunity to try out skills that they've got in 
in new contexts, if we can give them more opportunities, more of these units where, where it's not just done in the confines of a normal timetable and, and one class, that's, that's what we're aiming to do. Mm, that's fantastic. I, I love this idea. And your point as well, Myra, to link to that around still keeping it rigorous. You know, because I think there's this, it challenges the traditional view that learning must look a certain way. Uh, or frankly, that schooling must look a certain way. You know, learning actually has always been transdisciplinary. We just, just decided to try to divide knowledge up in a helpful way, you know, in some cases. Um, but what, how, just, just on this, how do we remain rigorous when we're kind of stepping into these prototypes, these new experiences, where you've got you know, different faculties coming together to try to design learning? What what's the principle that you've tried to hold? In that? Well, the the we the task I worked on in particular was a year nine one and yeah. the NYP assessment framework has uh, four criterion for every subject and and the one I created was math science and PE and and there was also interdisciplinary um, assessment frameworks too. I went through the lot and picked them all out, and if anything, it was over the top because at the back yeah. of the booklet there was 12 rubrics, and it, and it pretty much turned into, I would say to the PE teacher, if there's something accessible here, then please include. Mm. But uh, that was where the, the rigour was, but mm, if anything, great. it was possibly over the top in the early stages. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong about that. I think that's exciting when you're developing new things. Um, let's go to Annesley now. Give us a sense as well. You know, we've heard two, two school stories. What's been your story, the rationale, the process? Um, I think we took a... Yeah, we really started to reflect on um, the enterprise which Joe was talking about and the way that that was operating, what the successes were um, and, you know, where we could look to enhance it. And, um, at, you know, there were... As of any project, you you launch it, you you have a go, um, and you know then you start to reflect. And there was some tensions there in terms of because it was a very very free and open time for students to um, explore their passions, interests, and skills. And um, I think what we were finding was you know some of them were interpreting that as just free time. Yeah. So there was a sense for some students. Um, that it wasn't necessarily going anywhere. So that's where we, um, one of the ideas we came up with, we, you know, we created a model for um, enterprise where there were four sort of general stages. Mm. One, you know, what, what could kids be doing? So I'd have teachers ask me, well, they're just doing this, is that all right? Is that all right? Mm. Is, that, is that enterprise? Um, so kind of if they're working in one of these four stages, they are, you know, they're going somewhere with it. And um, we came up with a four-stage model, the first stage being generating ideas, which is very much um, a stage of being, you know, very creative, coming up with lots of ideas um, mm. and um, divergent thinking involved in that stage. And then moving to refine those ideas in the next stage, which is more innovating. So really kind of like developing prototypes, testing and refining down onto an idea. Mm. Um, then the next stage, the third stage, was to actually establish an enterprise. Okay, so we've developed a product, what are we going to do mm. with that? And then the fourth stage is the ongoing actual running. So if they've actually launched an enterprise, um, all the um, reflecting, continuing to um, create, 
adapt, sell, um, if they were, yeah, if it was a business-based enterprise. So that, we used that model so the students could kind of, that, that went up in, in classrooms. Right. Um, so the kids could actually um, negotiate with the teacher where they felt they were. And it gave some kind of accountability to that, that process and allowed, um, yeah, the teachers and the students to, you know, articulate what was happening and where they were going. Um, then something else we did with that, you know, we then asked the question, we used the model of the, um, the capabilities from the IB, the approaches to learning, yeah. um, and their five big skill areas, social skills, thinking skills, self-management skills, communication skills, and research skills. Mm -hmm. And we, we thought about, in those four stages of enterprise, which were the kind of key skills to success. Right. So for instance, um, creative thinking within the generating ideas. Mm. So from, we identified um, two or three sub-skills um, for each of those stages and um, developed a continuum similar to um, the types of things you were talking about, Judy. Um, and so that the kids could actually use that to identify some of the learning that was happening in those spaces mm. and reflect on um, yeah the skills that they were developing um, as well. Follow-up question before Michael, I want to bring you in here. You're a primary school context mm -hmm. at the moment and enterprise skills are often seen as something that you do in secondary. Like, take What's been your reflection in doing this work well with primary school age students that, you know, Sadly, many people say, oh, well, they're too young to really understand a business concept. So um, share a bit of that. Something I think, this was actually, it's a really good point, because we were finding, we developed this model um, with the Metapraxis team initially, and then it was our year six, seven teacher who trialed it, um, right. and had great success, and we kind of pushed it down. And what we found pretty much working with it this year and adapting it um, is that, you know, it was really, it worked really well for the um, year four to sevens, mm. um, but a lot of our kids lower than that, the actual, you know, you know, they weren't interested in, you know, selling a product sure. Or, sure. or going that way with it. So, yeah. um, you know, what we've ended up with is actually three versions of the model. Interesting. Within the early years, it's really focused around that discovering your passions and interests mm. um, and it's when we get to year two, three, we bring in the idea of, you know, really creating a product for a purpose, mm. but not necessarily the, the you know, it's more around mm. the entrepreneurial skills yeah. and entrepreneurial mi mindset we're developing in those early years. Yeah, great. And it's when we get to the four to sevens where we're explicitly through our units um, inquiring into, you know, actually how businesses, you know, and enterprises operate and so they're really getting upskilled in that which they can then imply, apply that learning in their actual um, um, enterprise time. Mm, fantastic. Michael, the, across these three different journeys, any, any prompts or questions or threads that you want to pull from, from this idea of you know, the process that they've all undertaken? Yeah, I know. I think it's, it's really fantastic you've got to hear the, the stories and to, to hear how each school is sort of able at this point in time to reflect on that and look at the journey and you know like what Rhett says about the, the, it may look as if it was 
intentional by design, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot that's kind of changed along the way. And yeah. these processes, these learning cycles, these learning loops around iterations in the project of, uh, you know, you can hear that in, in the work. And mm. one of the, the, the key things for me is, uh, has been this idea that we're establishing enabling conditions, this idea of planning for emergence. So rather than, you know, kind of what you might see as a kind of didactic planning for knowledge dissemination, you know, concept around the traditional model, the traditional mm. paradigm, you know, okay, well, what if we want to develop skills that are around creativity or enterprise or creative thinking and, 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 and look at the intersections between disciplines in that space? Mm. Well, you, you, you can't explicitly teach it so yeah. easily, right? Yeah. You, and, and as Cornerstone, you know, point out that, yes, you can, you can start to identify what the components of critical thinking are, but some of those are going to be concrete skills that you can directly teach. Others are going to be emergent skills that you can only set the conditions for. Yeah. And I think, you know, you hear that in Annesley's work around enterprise as well. That, um, you know, there's a, there's, and, I, and I think this happens, this happens at other schools as well. This is a kind of, let's put agency up to the max and see what happens. And, 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 then, you, and mm. then you just pull it back enough so that you reach that threshold where the, the, the input and output kind of ratios uh, match in some way so that the mm. students are kind of driven there's an impetus to create and explore but they're supported enough mm. so that, that and scaffolded so that it's you know you're kind of steering um so yeah i think i think in a way it's 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 about that kind mm. of emergence in the work of the schools as well that, mm. that there's been things that have been directed you know um in the project but other things that have absolutely emerged in the work that the schools yeah uh, i mean i hate to to quote a, a white guy but you know it's this idea of connecting the dots looking backwards mm. and allowing them to you know trusting that they will connect somewhere in the future yeah no thanks steve jobs but you know <laughs> it's it, i think something really profound about that the, the allowing for emergence and yeah. how we have to shift as educators to make that happen because yeah. our you know who we think ourselves to be mm. i think it's a really profound question in this if it's I'm going to create an experience and then step back. I mean, that's a scary thing mm. if we've internalized this model, which is, you know, you're going to have everyone on task all the time in mm. this particular direction. Mm. So I'd love just to open the floor to something around that. What, what's had to change in terms of almost the culture of learning <laughs> and the kind of culture of, dare I say, being as well as doing, you know, within the school? I, th I think that's a big shift for us as educators, especially myself you know people have been around a long time where we were kind of trained to have a linear way of thinking and mm -hmm. you have an end goal and you you set your goals and you work towards where this is a much more divergent and you know emergent mm. way of thinking where you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up yeah. and it's very discomforting it's mm. it's uncomfortable to sit in that space when it's not the way that we have kind of been educated ourselves or mm. even trained to be as teachers mm. and that's what we found in our staff that they all and we found that ourselves in the project saying well what exactly are we doing like what's the end goal here and yeah. we had to sometimes sit, stand back and say well actually that doesn't matter the learning that's happening mm. is probably as important as some end goal that we're maybe not even sure about yeah Julie just on that at the personal level what's how have you shifted through this? Because clearly, as you say, you've got a lot of experience in education. You know, how do you see that? How do, how do you let go of those previous ways of doing to, to allow yourself to emerge into some, a new, you know, a renewed educator? Well, I 
think it's it's maybe more conscious of what learning is for students and about that uncomfortableness that it's mm. and it's not about me setting up an easy pathway mm. for them that that we need to actually recognize the discomfort and reassure kids that that's okay yeah. you know I'll often find myself now introducing I'm a maths teacher so I'll introduce a new concept and you can see the confusion on the faces <laughs> but it doesn't stress me as much now it's not like oh, I have to give them a whole lot of steps to make it clear mm. at the end of a lesson I might say okay we've done this for one lesson do you think it's okay if you're walking out a bit confused? And they're going, oh, yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> and and I'll reassure them that is okay. Like, don't stress. And I think mm. sometimes they – so I've kind of shifted in my thinking in those that way. That's that's an example. Of that's that's so moved. great, Julie. It reminds me of um, some work I saw at University of Melbourne, which is the, the zone of – proximal confusion <laughs> which is such like what is the ideal amount of confusion that you should be experiencing as part of that and yeah. i just think for us it's it's the courage that it takes as educators to step into the unknown um which is what of course our learners do most days does anyone else want to add to that from a yeah sam go ahead you know a, a big highlight for us was i mean given a staff meeting um slot and and we put teachers in groups where there was where fairly um, carefully arranged them so there was um, diversity in terms of faculties and said right um, quickly explain to everybody what you do at this particular year level and then go looking for common skills and common content mm. and you know it's what they do it's what everybody loves it's their and, and just the opportunity to share that and, and to sit back and watch everybody bounce ideas of each other and and We've got this list now where we're um, lobbying for it to, to um, be executed and be given more time, but you know, back to this idea of the knowledge isn't in silos and if, if mm. teachers can collaborate more, um, have a better understanding of what their, their colleagues are doing and a common language around it and, and suggest to the students, I know you learned how to do this, let's now use this in this this new context so mm. that was an exciting moment mm. for us all. that's fantastic yeah and i think we, we tend to to see people get sometimes a bit uncomfortable because they see oh this is another thing that we have to do it's another mm. layer on top um where it's really content it's not that content is less important content is a vehicle that you use to really yeah. foster and develop those skills and once you see it that way then you know that they're both equally important and you have to create those rich opportunities to, mm. to develop those skills. That's great. I mean, I, I think about the way we talk about knowledge economy and I just think that is, frankly, outdated. Mm. You know, it's creation economy. It's mm -hmm. what we do with our knowledge that matters. And, you know, this is, I think, the big shift that we're seeing in higher education and beyond, Michael, and that you're leading as well through UEL and mm. other places. Um, anything from your Anna's Legion? As, in terms of the culture of learning and the... You know, because we're not taught to be entrepreneurial in our undergraduate degrees no. or postgraduate degrees as teachers. So how, how then can we, yeah, what's been the journey for you? I think it's been really fascinating. And as a group of educators, we've had to learn to step back and take away early on in our journey, the more structure we tried to put into it, the more we killed that beautiful moment of Interesting. And we, so we had this real push and pull. Um, and, but as educators, we had to spend a lot of time early on reflecting each staff meeting about it because, and that was a big part of our early journey was reflecting every week um, to support our professional journey and our level of comf comfort with it. Um, and because this is such innovative work, 
there isn't a guidebook yeah. and that's created a certain amount of chaos and uncertainty in us but how great is that as educators that we can experience what our learners are experiencing too yeah we've often looked for that guidebook and haven't found it and there's suddenly had to look <laughs> within and in that process we've observed our learners mm -hmm. and that's been the most powerful thing i think when we haven't had the answers is to look at our learners and observe and because this is part of every week of every child at annesley we have these moments of being able to observe the learners and it could there could have been a case for pulling back the amount of time we're devoting to this but what kept us going was that every child at Annesley loves this time it's their favorite time of the week they would lose their mind if we suddenly pulled it back <laughs> and and that was a bit yeah. biggest um indicator to us that this was successful yeah because they loved it and they used it and management wasn't isn't an issue well, that, in this space bring it up. because they're so yeah. engaged the challenge has been um, creating the rigour around it, particularly so we can show the value to the parents. Because this is innovative work, they're asking the questions about the value of it. They didn't have the privilege like we did, seeing the children engage in this during school hours. Um, how do we document that and how, how do we add the rigour to it so they can see the development of that? And that's been a really fascinating process for us, mm. um, one that we've, has really grown for us. Fantastic, Joe. Michael, what do you want to add to all this fantastic? <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I, it'd be very easy to. Well, I, I mean, I think you know that that the, the point that Joe's just made is really important because a lot of what we're experiencing in in these this type of work mm. is intangible. Like, you, yeah. you, we can't use the same processes and, and, and ways of assessing or recognizing you know the learning experience because it's not necessarily predicated on on content or knowledge. It's it's much more about skills applied variously for each individual student, for each mm -hmm. context that they encounter. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of trust that goes with, with that. Yeah. Uh, for, for parents, for sure, for, for, for students, for learners, for teachers. And that, that trust kind of connects to the concept of rigor again, I think. Right at the beginning, um, I remember at the Adelaide race course, um, standing up and saying, you know, there's a kind of existential crisis in, in this work because the, your concept of uh, what is expertise is shifting, you know, yeah. and, and rather than having expertise that's derived from the knowledge yeah. and the content that, that structures a curriculum ordinarily within a discipline, mm. um, you know, perhaps we need to develop different kinds of expertise. It's not that expertise is lost, it's that actually we're, we're developing expertise in transfer. And I think the next step is very much about then how do we represent that? Mm. How do we how do we showcase that, and what do we need to? Because because the you know the the concepts of value that sit underpin this are changing too. Mm. So that as you say, you know, it's not just about um, there's a kind of creative value that you create, social um, value, cultural value. Yeah. You know, all these things are um, perhaps part of a you know kind of new concept of how learning works, and mm. and, um, and I think. You know the, that sense that it's that it's not just existing within the, the domain of the school. Yeah, it exists outside of school, and we've been you know kind of conscious of trying to capture that as much as we can. Mm. Um, the yeah, I think that, that in terms of the central theme in in, in a lot of this, um, or at least the principle, the value that sits behind it is an idea of um, and here we go. With, with, uh, you know, go ahead, go ahead, Michael. We're in your hands. But no, no. Well, actually, no. It's this idea of epistemic equity, right? So, sure. so, what, what is, what is equitable for students, and what should they learn, and how should they learn, in order to uh, 
lead better lives. You know? mm. And um, one of the key things for this was to move away from this idea of didactic teaching of content so yes. that I hold the power. I have, I have the power because yeah. I have the knowledge. Yeah. I'm going to transfer that to you. Whereas what we're hearing here is this, this flip where mm. the student, the locus of control sits with the student. And in order to do that, we enable the conditions yeah. and support, like our life depends upon it, <laughs> the development of their skills of interpretation, like mm. how students can apply creative and cognitive uh, yeah. problem-solving skills and so on. So, but um, yeah, it's just so brilliant to hear those stories uh, at this point in time and at each phase of the project, you know, the, all of this rich... Uh, you know, work is, is, is brilliant to hear about. I just, there's one point that you just spoke about, which is to support like a life dependent on it, which is yeah. extreme, but true. <laughs> um, this idea, that's where the rigor comes in, yeah. I feel, because I yeah. think what this work is absolutely not is this idea of a laissez-faire free time kind of conception. Mm. And there's a re-education that needs to occur for all of us, mm. especially for learners that are further along their journey. Because they're not used to that locus of control changing no. if they've been in kind of a school, sure. grammar of schooling, you know, culture as opposed to this language of learning that I think is yeah. what we're all talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love just to have some kind of final remarks from each of, each of you. Um, what have been some of the key, you know, what's been, what are you kind of like saying, yes, we got to this point, <laughs> we've succeeded so far, and then what do you think is next for you? You know, what, what do you think is, so what do you think is embedded maybe now and what's emergent still um, or that's, that's on the horizon perhaps? Cornerstone, we'll go to you first. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're very proud of where we've got to at this point with the learning progression matrix for critical thinking. Um, right. I think it's in a useful state at the moment, um, but there's still a lot to do <laughs> um, and it's to get it into a more useful state and then to really be able to get it out there across the whole school mm. I guess and, and have um, it being taken up by teachers and for them to see it as being a useful tool um, as well and that's I think that's a big step mm. to get it there you can get the ones who kind of agree with it and have bought into it they, they might be able to see it that way but to spread it across the school would be the next step. Mm. And then the other C's and trying to come up with other tools for that. <laughs> That's great. Ongoing. Yeah, fantastic. Right. We, we have done some work in the third year, specifically in the inquiry space, because we figured that teachers sort of needed a pedagogy, really, to be able to work with critical thinking. Sure. And, and also teachers had said, well, what's, a, what's something common that we can do? What's a common connection? So we developed our own language for like there's lots of inquiry cycles but we mm. just developed one that we, we call our inquiry cycle right. so uh, just the four words of imagine design create evaluate mm. and just to have nailed down say well let's use these words and all agree mm. and um, then talking to teachers about how they could outwork that so in the middle of this year we were talking about how they could outwork that and they've done some discussion in teams um, and it's used, we've defined it in year eight. It now means we've got some language from year seven to ten mm. that we can use, and then hopefully that will flow into what they do at SACE. But the, the idea that was to try and provide a pedagogy that yeah. perhaps might encourage staff to think about critical thinking. So that was a bit kind of intentional. Yeah. And it's providing a structure. We hope that it evolves more naturally in time, but that gave us uh, a structure. And at the end of the year, when I was discussing with some of the leaders, they were talking about how 
it's actually been great to have the common language. Mm. They may not be using the whole cycle, but it's in English, for example, they said, we, we recognise that we don't do a lot of evaluation. So they've picked up an aspect of that and mm. they're, they're working in that space. So it's helped them perhaps to define some areas to work in. Um, and they're using it in the middle school program with intent now. So, mm. yeah, that's been a, a step forward that we're really pleased about. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. Uh, Sam, Myra. We're currently undertaking a review and enhancement of our um, middle school assessment framework, actually, which is really exciting because it will hopefully give us more air and more time for these sorts of activities and spaces. And um, you know, hopefully we can challenge everybody that the, these sorts of skills have always been seen to be innate in the high achieving students but we would like to everybody to see it as something that can be brought up and enhanced in all of our students. We've got lots of um, things we're hoping to do. I'm just looking at my list here actually. I've got a transfer diary or a skills log in the, in the pipeline. We've got right. a, we were calling it an IDU bank, an interdisciplinary unit bank that we've created so that people can refer back to it. Um, I've also um, uh, got a repository of unsolvable questions. That was something that Michael talked about at yeah. one stage, which really um, piqued my interest. Which, um, <coughs> you know, if, if it is unsolvable, then what's the purpose of trying to solve it? And it takes the emphasis right, right away from the outcome back to the, mm. back to the process. So mm. um, that's the short term future. I Fantastic, Sam. And I think we also partner with uh, the student agency group. Because mm. um, at the end of the day, we are both groups were trying to do the same thing at school, so we combined efforts. Um, and what we are trying to do is to identify key skills and create opportunities for the students to, for the girls to see how they can actually transfer yeah. some of those skills. And we're doing that through the diary that is coming up next year. Mm. Um, so the school diary will now have sections for the students to identify skills and tips and such as so it's more at front of mind um, and yeah hopefully we'll be able to create more opportunities in the classroom as well where they can actually do more interdisciplinary mm. fantastic i'm glad you picked that up the kind of triangle of kind of mm. the learner profile the mm -hmm. a lab and the meta praxis is kind of in these three yes. elements that mm -hmm. come together um fantastic and david and joe um i think you know, we're quite proud of some of the successes the students have have actually achieved in their enterprise this year, and it was kind of um, yeah, help gave us the confidence that the, um, the support, sorry, the structures and models and things that we were putting, yeah. you know, trialing and um, very purposefully were um, actually not taking away the agency, but actually enhancing it because the students were empowered. Mm -hmm. um, to actually be more successful in the enterprises that they were creating, while still, you know, you know, they were very much student-driven projects that achieved more as a result. Um, and whether that was, you know, we had a group of students who've um, developed and set up a now operational second-hand uniform shop. We've got a group who Great. have um, been creating um, cruelty-free cosmetics from natural products <laughs> and branding and selling those um, to the community just as two examples we've had we've had many and um, you know they they haven't lost that sense of agency mm. you know they've actually really 
achieve that and the more examples of those successes that the rest of the school community is seeing it's kind of catching you know I yeah. had an eight-year-old come up to me the other day and say you know um, David I was I was up till 10 o'clock last night doing my branding and my you know so it's actually really um, hashtag hustle you know <laughs> yeah, so that kind of um, yeah yeah being really purposeful about it mm. I think is, is we're seeing the um, positive results um, in terms of the tool we created with the um, rubrics for the different learning skills that's now a tool which we see you know we can use across the curriculum you know beyond that context of um, the enterprise yeah. something we'll look to do next year um, mm. I think yeah as Dana said we've been really encouraged by the success that the model has has really enhanced what the children have been doing in really powerful ways too um, and so we're really excited about what it's going to bring I think we feel like we've somewhat completed our toolkit for now we know that there's continued growth and continued things will add to it but it's got to a point now that next year is a really exciting point for us where mm. and we've got some time this week to work with staff so that we're really bringing them on board with exactly what's in that toolkit they've got some exposure to it but it's really exciting now and this is also informing a lot of our teaching and learning so it's helped us develop mm. a scope and sequence of units of inquiry in our PYP program that are actually building the skills in, intentionally and explicitly um, so that we, they can actually apply these in this enterprise time and then we can map those skills too. And a really great eventuation of that next year, I think, will be able to, be able to share those that skill development with parents in an, um, in an assessment format. Mm. And just kind of just continually create that new narrative. I think it's just so so exciting about this. We started with vision, Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's as much about creating a new language, a new, you know, a new understanding for all of us collectively. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I think taking others on the journey um, mm -hmm. as we ourselves are on that. Mm -hmm. Any any final words from you before we close? Well, it's just been so good to to, to hear the story of, of each school and their journey in this. And um, clearly, you know, what 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 I hear what you're speaking about is the kind of impact of the work the opportunity that students now have to apply those skills in different ways and that's you know if, if anything was the vision that 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 was it that that it that it makes a, a difference to the way that students and, and learners can uh you know learn mm. and, and and progress and develop and grow um it's been fantastic to work with every every school yeah. every school's got a different story yeah, a different right. version different of the project um it's each one of those is their project, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, in a way, there's a, there was an intention behind, kind of modelling that, modelling mm -hmm. the chaos, modelling the empty spaces, <laughs> modelling, bridging the gaps, yeah. um, and to see that now, kind of emerge as a set of, you know, different different projects is, is has been fantastic. So, thank you all. It's been really really great to work with you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. An enormous thanks to you, Michael, of course, to you, Joe, David, Myra, Sam, Brett, and Julie, for sharing your journey so far. Uh, it's been really exciting to hear, you know, the praxis of this, dare I say, Michael, you know, really <laughs> how this is working in schools around Adelaide here in South Australia. Thank you for listening to our first episode in this Metapraxis Approach podcast. <laughs>